0: For church announcements, please wait to the end of the video. Tonight, Pastor Sadler's lesson is on reasonable service. We get asked the question, what is God's expectations for us? As believers, we are to reach out to the unbelievers, but it is our choice. If you want to know how to make the right choice, keep listening.
1: If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12. I did hear an interesting story this week from a pastor, a friend of mine. He was asked to speak a long ways away from home, and the church that invited him asked him to bring his wife with him. They wanted her to address the retreat or the services they were having. And and so he brought her, and they have two small dogs, and they had to take the dogs with them. And so when you travel with two small dogs, you have to stop about every hour, And so his wife says, well, we're going to get to such and such city about this time tonight, and we're going to need a place to stay. So she got on her smartphone and went on Expedia and found a hotel room that would take dogs. They got to the hotel, and they found out why this hotel took dogs. It was rough. He said, I literally saw a drug deal going down in the lobby of the hotel. He said, they gave us, all hotels now have crossed over to digital keys that you swipe. He said, no, 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 this hotel still had the key with the, with the plastic placard that if you lost it, it would tell a criminal element exactly which room to break into. You know, it's got the room 304. Around. And he said, we got to the room, and what made that worse is there was no deadbolt on the door. The only thing was that key lock. And he said, drug deal and lobby. And I'm tired, and we've got to have a place for the dogs to sleep. He said, I literally fell asleep with one eye on that door. He said, I fell asleep, and I guess that was in the front of my mind, keeping us safe in a very challenged hotel. And he said, about 2 o'clock in the morning, he said, I had to get up and go to the restroom. And he said, I'm walking to the restroom in, in the hotel room. And he said, I looked, and would you believe there was a man in his underwear standing in the closet and he said it was reflex he coiled up his fist and he hit it as hard as he could and he shadowed that mirror into tiny little pieces I'm asking a question I'm being serious who in here has ever got something on their mind and it predisposed you to make assumptions. Who's ever made assumptions? A made your problem worse. By the way, he only had to have four stitches. Four stitches. Okay. Tonight, when we hear Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, we already have assumptions on what the scripture says for just a little bit tonight. We're starting a new series this month and it comes from the latter part of verse one of Romans 12, your reasonable service. Say that with me, your reasonable service. The very last part says, which is your reasonable service. For the next four, we're gonna be looking at what is our reasonable service. Who knows that God has expectations for you? Who thinks you know what God expects of you? Who admits we can be predisposed and see what we expect to see and believe what we want to believe? Am I the only one? We all have a tendency to see what we expect to see, okay? We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you, I need your help tonight. I really feel challenged of God that we allow him and his spirit to begin to stretch us. Last month, we looked at the Beatitudes affecting our perspective, our attitude towards the things of God. This month, I really feel God wants to express his expectations for us, okay? Expectations. We go to a restaurant, we have certain expectations, don't we? But what is God's expectation for us? Jesus, tonight we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your wonderful people. And God, even now we thank you for your written word. But God, bring it alive. God, make it more than just words that we memorize and we spout them out by rote. But tonight, let them become real and active and powerful. God, let it speak to our hearts and our minds. Let it shape our attitude and our actions tonight. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody say amen. I talked about reasonable service. Julie knows my mind uh, runs towards legal knees. I love uh, a legal precedent. When I, oftentimes when I preach, I make a, a point, but then I feel the need to substantiate it with Scripture. Scripture is the law journal. It is the precedent that's already been established. God said, this is my will, this is my way, and you need to adhere to it. Now, who knows that we have laws. We say they're on the books. Have you all ever seen the book? No, but that's a figure of speech, meaning that it's been recorded that this article or this principle or this proviso or guideline is expected for your conduct or for your observance and you oftentimes don't find out the finer points of the law until you get your britches caught on what fence you were climbing. Anybody here have to get a fixer? That's another word for an attorney. When you get into the weeds and you're not sure there's a clear straight answer, you have to have somebody interpret it for you. But who knows there are some things that are just reasonably clear to be expected. Anybody here stayed in a hotel I hope they weren't selling drugs in the lobby. Anybody been in a hotel? Do you have a reasonable expectation of privacy in your hotel room? The next time you check into a hotel, read the fine print. Do you know that on the fine print where it says sign here and initial here, oftentimes what you're initialing is you're giving the hotel permission to surveil you? Did you know that? That they want to have video cameras in the hallways, on the elevator. Don't be smooching your honey on the elevator because they're watching. Somebody's laughing somewhere because y'all smooching on the elevator. You can smooch if you want to. Okay. Do you expect to have a video camera in your hotel room? Okay. The law says you have a reasonable expectation of privacy when you're in a Even though it's a public bathroom, it shouldn't be public for everybody to see you in the bathroom. You have a reasonable expectation. Who thinks that's a good thing? Reasonable expectation, okay. If you buy a car, who thinks it's a reasonable expectation that it at least run long enough to get home? A new car, especially. Who thinks a new car should run long enough to at least get home, right? Where you can put it up on blocks for all your neighbors to see. Anybody old enough to remember the cars made in the 1970s and 1980s, American-made cars? and Man, they, they just wasn't very good, were they? And uh, they broke down. My parents bought a 77 Fury Brahm Chrysler. It was lemon yellow, and it lived up to its color. Four year, before it was paid off fully at the bank, my dad had to pay a wrecker service to haul it off. It was such a lemon. In the early 80s, we had a change in governmental administration that was addressing some of the serious violations of reasonable expectation. Who's ever heard of a lemon law? What is a lemon law? It gives parameters that people have a reasonable expectation that the car they buy from you should last this long or go this many miles. And if it doesn't, these are some suggested remedies. Who thinks reasonable expectations being spelled out is a good thing? I read one recently where it says people have a reasonable expectation that you're going to take your Christmas lights down by Valentine's Day. Ain't under business. If I want to leave my Christmas lights up here, that might. So, do you understand that reasonable expectations are a normal? What the norm is? What people's normal or society or cultural expectations are? Okay, we do have social norms. So, we all have reasonable expectations. I'm sure. Uh, it depends on which side of the situation is that you see as reasonable but in reality there is we do step into every transaction who's who's been to a restaurant recently and felt like you didn't get enough food for your money okay so it did not meet expectations who in here has left a less than a 10% tip because the service didn't meet your expectation and maybe the server followed you to your car, wanting you to know that <laughs> your friendliness didn't meet their expectations, is why they didn't serve you, or you were very hostile to them. And so we all have expectations. Okay. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is, everybody say, which is, your reasonable service. This particular writing to the church at Rome, it's to the believer. Now who in here is a believer in Jesus Christ? Who, who is a Christ follower? I didn't say you're perfect. I didn't say you have it all figured out. I didn't say you didn't have ups and downs and you hadn't fallen. I'm just saying you believe he is and you're making steps or strides towards obeying and following him. So this is for you tonight. This is not to the unbeliever. This is to the believer. And so that's why it makes it perfect for a Wednesday night Bible study because we don't have a lot of unbelievers that get off work and eat a ham sandwich in the car and fight traffic to get here unless they are a believer. You, you, you've got to be motivated, inspired. You've got to be intentional to be here on Wednesday night. I love to zero in to start with on the word therefore. It gives you an indication what is it there for? And you have to go back in chapter 11 to see that Paul is talking to the people. And I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time. Paul is saying, hey, At one time, you were unbelievers, and God used people that had become believers to speak to you, and because of their words as believers, who had themselves been unbelievers, now you believe. And so, God used unbelievers that had become believers to reach more unbelievers, and those unbelievers reached you, and now guess what? I have a reasonable expectation. Y'all knew there was going to be a hook in that hunk of meat somewhere, didn't you? You knew I was... And so because God reached unbelievers and made them believers who had an influence on you, and now you're a believer, God's expecting you to take an example that you were unbelievers, but now you're a believer and use that to influence somebody else that they might believe. I beseech you, I beg you. In other words, having the revelation that God uses unbelievers become unbelievers to reach more unbelievers, he says, I therefore, by the mercies of God. Now, that's a very important phrase. I've told you before, in the, the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah had a vision that God, and he sat on the throne, and his train filled all And his glory filled all the house. If you look at the train of a king's robe, he always had embroidered on the end of his robe the intentionality of his administration. Who's ever seen political campaigns? If elected, it will be my intent. The first thing I do when I'm sworn in, I will do, and you fill in the blank. That's what his administration, that's his platform, that's his purpose. If you look, I've got multiple examples, but I just want to use the Isaiah 6 example. If you look at the authority on which God sits on his throne, it's not on righteousness, although he is righteous. You can't separate God from righteous. They're synonymous. God is perfect. You cannot separate. God cannot lie. You can't separate that. And so God could stand on his perfectionism platform. God could stand on his righteousness or holiness. And he's all those things. Those are attributes of God. And our little limited pea brain can't comprehend how awesome he is. He exceeds what our expectations, even we can think or imagine, he goes so far above it. But here's the catch. When he could have run on his holiness or perfection or righteousness or his judgment, he says his throne is on mercy. God, when he looks at you and I, he's not looking through lenses of holiness, he's not looking through lenses of righteousness. He's not looking, he's looking for what? He's looking through eyes of mercy. Do you remember my minister friend? He fell asleep with one eye open watching the door. He was feeding and thinking about the drug deal and not having a lock on the door. And he's imagining the worst. And so when he sees the mirror, what's his preconceived notion is? There's somebody going to hurt me. And he swung. And he he was predisposed with eyes of the threat, or the risk, or danger, or harm. But when God looks at us, he is predisposed to look at us with eyes of mercy. I say it all the time, and y'all probably get tired of hearing it. He's not trying to write you out. He's trying to write you in. I don't have this in my notes. But Julie and I, I think right before Beth was born, we had one of those bad cars from the 80s. It was a Plymouth Voyager minivan. There was the Chrysler Town & Country, the Dodge Caravan, but we had its sister car that was a Limon, and it was the Plymouth Voyager, and it's like it came from outer space and it had all of this... Moon dust on it was pitiful. It was just pitiful. Literally, Julie drove it on a field trip with Brian's class, and she pulled in the parking lot, and the front wheel assembly just fell off, just right in the park. We put more in repairs in that thing than we paid for it, and we paid too much for it. And by the time I knew we had to do something, we have Brian, and now we're going to have a new baby. And Julie, she never asked for anything, but I could tell, man, honey, if I could get something a little more dependable, you know, I might stay with you. And and I was feeling the pressure, and so. Who's ever heard of Saturn cars? Saturn had just come out with dealerships. And so I had taken the Plymouth Voyager. I had topped off the oil. And I said, well, we got about 20 miles before it had to be topped off again. It smoked. It rumbled. It rattled. I mean, it made noises that I've never heard on any car before or since. That it didn't blow up. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you. How? And so I took it to one dealership and said, we want to trade this. And I asked how much the car we were looking at was, and they gave me a total for the trade, and it was more if we traded our car in than if I had just bought the car. Because they said, yeah, it ain't worth nothing. We're actually going to have to charge you. And I could see little tears in the corner. I'm going to drive this car forever. I'm going to be broke down the side of the road. My baby's going to die. It's going to be horrible. And man, I said, I got to do something. And so we drove across the highway. I said, if it'll stay together for us to get to the other side of the highway. And there's a Saturn dealership over there. And they had what was called the no haggle policy. Our price is our price. But what I found out later was they could not come off the list price because they marked it, this is the low everyday price. But what they could do is finagle your trade-in. We left over here where they're going to charge me for this, and we barely, I mean, we pulled in the parking lot, and it was lurching, billowing smoke. And I said, I sure hope the smoke clears before they come out here and look at this. I'm serious. That's what I thought. I hope the smoke clears before they come out here and look at this. And I went in. David Carr was a salesman. We became friends. And so I told him he saw Julie. Julie's out to here with Elizabeth. And, and he said, well, let, let me look at this car. And sure enough, the smoke had cleared. And he asked me a question that it gave me a, a knot in the pit of my stomach. He said, well, if you got the keys, I'll take it for a test drive. And I said, well, he won't make it back. And if he does, he's not going he to do this. I promise you, I, he might have just drove it around the building. I don't know. We were just praying in Travail, and he came back and said, Hey, what if I gave you $3,500 for your—remember that? Yeah, we both fell out. They had to get smelling and sauce out. It was it was bad. He gave us $3,500. I think God caused him to have pity on us. He told me later, he said, Carlos, i tell you, your wife was pregnant out to here, and he said, I knew we couldn't come off on the, the price of that car, but he said, I'd had a good month, and I'd banked a few points with the company, and I knew I had a little wiggle room. And what he sold us, it was the credit manager. It was a demo car. She, it had 4,900 miles. She'd been driving it, and because of that, he said, I was able. He said, I just couldn't let y'all leave without her getting a car. Now, I'm telling you that. That's just like God. He's not looking for a way to turn you down. He is looking for a way through eyes of mercy to make it work for you. He's not trying to raise the bar where you can't get over it. He's trying to do everything to maintain his righteousness, but at the same time, he sees you through eyes of mercy. What can I do to make this work? Aren't you glad we serve a God of mercy? Now, I beg you is what he's saying. In view of mercy, that's what I beseech you by the mercy of God. He said, in view of all the mercy that God has bestowed on you, I'm asking you. Now, I'm asking a question. Who in here can remember some dark days and some bad decisions that you were afraid your chickens were going to come home to roost? Who's ever been afraid that the Scripture is going to be fulfilled, you're going to reap what you sow? Who's ever been afraid you are going to reap what you sow? Who's ever prayed for crop failure? Am I the only one who prayed for crop? Lord, I know your word says, but let me read Please, Lord, let, don't, don't let that come. And you know what? Because we cry out to him, he hears us, and he extends mercy to us. Who in here has ever experienced God's mercy? He's saying, so when you don't want to meet your reasonable service, don't base it on how you feel base it on remembering God's mercy towards you. Who in here has ever been done wrong and you didn't want to forgive that person? The Word says don't forgive them based on their worthiness. It says be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has Don't base it on them asking for forgiveness or their worthiness. Base it, have you ever experienced God's mercy? So when you extend mercy to somebody else, it's not because they're worth it. Because you wasn't worth it when you were lost in uh, trespasses and sin, but God took pity on you. And through eyes of mercy, he saw you in the pig pen, squandering all the gifts and talents that he preloaded you with. And when you didn't even acknowledge him as your father, he still stood at the end of the driveway not looking to put you in time out. The Bible says he immediately called the servants. He immediately killed the fatted calf, meaning he had put an offering aside for not if, but when. Some of you got backslidden children. You better keep that sacrifice put away, waiting and believing for the day they come home. Now think about that. If you had a backslidden kid that was doing wrong, good enough for them. Wasted my time, kept me awake, cost me a bunch of money. That's not what this father did. What did this father do? Kill the fatty calf. Let's have a party. The son who was dead is now alive. Does that sound like somebody who's trying to write you out? No, he keeps trying to write you back in. The will. Well, he's already received his inheritance, the older brothers. Aren't you glad he saw the father before he saw his brother? God's forgiven us not so much. Man, it's quiet in here. Through eyes of mercy. So when you think about God's expectations for you, don't look at it through lenses of how you feel or what they've done or if they're worthy. Always put on your lenses of mercy. Sister Rose, I can't help but notice you've got a pair of glasses on tonight. You're looking right at me. So if I took my little ball ping hammer and laid your little glasses and went smack, smack, shattered the lenses, if she puts them back on, My Lord, pastor, everything in the church is broken. The ceiling's broken. The floor's broken. The chairs are broken. Angie's broken. Right? Everything's broken. Is everything broken? What's broken? You ever met a critical spirit person comes into church, they can't pay a compliment. They always see the flaws. It's because they're looking through broken lenses. I'm telling you, we need to change the brokenness and put on lenses of mercy. When we see other people, instead of putting them down, we remember, except for the grace of God, that would be me. Except for the mercy of God, that would be me. He says, I beg you by the mercy, the vision of mercy through the eyes and lenses of mercy, that you do what? Present. Present. Another word there would be present. Okay. If you present or you give a present... What do you think of? Christmas? My personal favorite holiday, pastor appreciation. It's a joke, it's a joke. I'm asking, what do you think of when a birthday present, anniversary present? Do you send family invoices for Christmas presents? Do you ask them for them to sign this tax-deductible letter for the gift they gave you for your birthday? Do they send you a bill saying, hey, my birthday's coming out? Well, sometimes they do, okay? A friend of mine says, my wife expects gifts on Father's Day. I mean, that's that's high maintenance right there. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, do we? No. We voluntarily, it's out of a heart of gratitude that we present gifts. Amen? So is God sending you a bill? Is God got an invoice? Okay, who's got free will? But God is dialing in to an attitude of gratitude, and he's asking you with the vision of mercy to consider unbelievers because you yourself was an unbeliever. And he's asking you now as a believer what unbeliever, that's what all of chapter 11 is about, is believers reaching unbelievers, and now the former unbelievers that are now believers reaching what? More unbelievers. He says, I'm asking you to put on the vision of mercy and present. God's not going to take it from you. God's not going to, if God wants me to reach my neighbor or my co-worker, he's going to have to make me. To, he's not going to do it. It's a choice. Somebody asked me, said, Pastor, what is What is offerings? I kind of know what tithe is, but what's offering? Offering is anything above tithe that you choose to give, okay? If we send you an invoice, you're not giving offerings. You're paying a debt. Offerings are out of an attitude of gratitude, out of appreciation. You have a desire, a compulsion, overwhelming sensation to give. And so this here is who in here is thankful for where you're at versus where you were. And so, just as you give monetarily to propagate the gospel out of a heart of gratitude to minister to the needs of others, God is also expecting you to give yourself. Give yourself. I cannot tell you the people that formerly had only been monetary givers. And they said, well, I give it such an extreme amount that it compensates for my lack of participation. Let me ask you a question. Who in here has either had or known children that had non-custodial parents? You know anybody that's got divorced parents? And so the non-day-to-day parent, the, the one that has just weekends or vacation, visitation, oftentimes they try to compensate for the lack of time with what? Money and gifts trips to Hawaii or to theme parks or new cars, and it makes them feel better, but what does it do for the relationship between that child and that parent? Does it make it better and stronger? No. There is no substitute for the time shared between a parent and a child there is no substitute between you spending time with your heavenly Father. No substitute. And so when we look at this passage, he says, present yourself. You know, give yourself. It's easy to buy a gift, especially with Amazon, with you know, free shipping. Hey, phew, hit three buttons. Hey, I barely even thought about you. Boom. Happy birthday. Yay. It's a lot more work in the day-to-day who who knows it's a lot easier to buy a gift on Amazon than it is to sit at the dining room table helping them with compound fractions. Stoichiometry when they hit chemistry. Yeah, a lot easier just to hey, I'll give you two Amazon gifts if you'll do your own homework. I mean, come on, yeah. God does expect us to give monetarily. But we can never give sufficient monetarily that compensates for the absence of giving of ourselves to meeting the... Listen, guys, do you know who you're cheating when you don't give yourself to the work in the kingdom of God? God will still reach the lost without you. It's the impact on you, how it'll change and transform your life and your parties When you get involved, I can't speak for Kevin. We've only been doing ESL a few weeks But when I see somebody who was totally oblivious to something in the English language and all of a sudden a light bulb goes off and, oh, it makes sense now, which there's not much about the English language that makes sense, but it's like the word B-A-S-S. How do you say that? And you wonder why people from other countries struggle with the English language. Oh, pastor, you play your fish wonderfully. Some of y'all get that on the way home. But when I'm teaching the scriptures, when I have a young lady stop the Bible study and says, you keep talking about Calvary, what is Calvary? And I get a chance to explain to her the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bam! You cheat yourself when you don't give yourself Reaching the unbelievers and see them go from the lost column to the saved column. I'm going to tell you something. Be very careful getting involved, giving yourself to the work of the ministry. Well, I'm not a preacher. So much of the kingdom has very little to do with preaching. It has to do about relationship, godly, righteous relationship. You be careful getting involved because you see one person going through radical transformation. It's addictive. It's addictive. It's more, I've never been addicted to drugs, but I can only say for myself, it seems to be more addictive than drugs, because the first time I taught a Bible study and somebody went from an unbeliever to a believer, you've never had to coach me up or inspire me to want to teach Bible studies. We've had seasons in our marriage where Julie says, you got a Bible study almost every night of the week. Could, could you take one night off? I said, oh, it's like a drug. I can't stop. Be careful. Be careful. It is addictive when you see the transformational work of the Word of God, when you give yourself. It says present. Everybody say present. I want to say dramatically here, believers need to act like they believe the message. If you're a believer, you need to act like you really believe. Okay, If you believe that this building is on fire and you continue to sit there, do you really believe? Either that or you're crazy. If you believed we were about to face a major food shortage and food was going to run out, if you believed it, would you not buy any food? If you believed that the banks were going to close in the next few days and you had money in there and you didn't go get it, did you really believe If you really believed, what would you probably do? Go into action, okay? How about this one? If you believed there were going to be no turkeys for Thanksgiving, I know I have great influence because I shared with our office team Last week that I read an article, there's been a global outbreak of bird flu, and they're killing thousands of turkeys, so there's going to be a limited supply of turkeys. And I said, I went and bought my turkey today. Would you believe within 24, 36 hours, everybody on the office desk said, Pastor, I really I went ahead and bought my turkey. I was afraid we'd get stuck with that one. I'm so powerful. I just mentioned it. And people run out and buy I thought about getting on Facebook and say there's going to be a turkey shortage. And I was going to see if Butterball would cut me in on it. You know, just get a little, yeah, I'm creating a turkey shortage. If I really believe it, I'm going to act, right? Well, those are all negatives. How about some positives? If you believe Jesus is coming again, would your actions show it? If you had truly been redeemed, would your actions show it? If you truly believe that provider, would your actions? Show? I love Hebrews thirteen and six. So that we may boldly say, "The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what men shall do unto me." Let me say again: We boldly say, we don't say maybe kind of sordid. The Lord could kind of sneak a little help. No! The Lord is my help. Where does my help come from? David said, my help coming from the Lord. Do you know what? God is faithful. Men will fail you. Politicians will fail you. Your health and your mental acumen will fail you. But God, is your helper. He will never fail you. If you believe that, wouldn't your actions? I'm asking, wouldn't your actions indicate it? If you're going to be effective moving unbelievers into the believer column, you must have credibility by your actions. If I was always telling falsehoods and exaggerations in the office, do you think these two ladies that are wise with some gray hair and experience life, Do you think they would have rushed out and bought turkeys? No. It's because pastors said, I've read this, and I must have had some degree of credibility. And it says, whoo, if pastors buy turkeys, we better go buy some turkeys, right? Okay. If your actions don't validate what you say you believe, don't be surprised if people don't believe you. If you're saying, you better get your life straight because Jesus come back, but you're living a life that doesn't say anything, but you believe that Jesus is coming back. If you're still consumed with worldliness and entertainment and wine, women, and song, and living in the moment and carnal pleasure, what about that Screams to anybody? You're getting yourself ready. Nothing. Our actions, we better act like we believe. You all hear me talk about my dad from time to time. I'm sure a lot of boys idolize their dad. My dad, the older I get, the, the more I realize how wise he was. I want you to look at this. The older I get, the more I realize how wise he was. And I just believe, if my dad said it, I remember the first time I perceived that my dad lied to me. I I didn't say he lied to me. I said I perceived. My dad, I was probably six years old, and I hate to tell you all this, my dad was one of those dads, if he said he was going to spank you when he got home, he, he didn't say it. If he didn't mean it, you're going to get spanked when you get home. You didn't say, oh, but, Dad, no, you had your warnings. I told you I was going to spank you. I want to be a man of my word. I'm going to spank you. And so we had utter confidence in Dad. If he said something, it's, that's just the way it was. Now, I was about six years old. We were at a church event. I had received a birthday present, and I'm playing with it. I want to show my friends, but I don't really want them to play with it. You see the the dynamic there? Look at what I got. Don't you touch it, okay? Well, what is a kid going to do when you got this new flashy toy? When you turn your head, they're going to want to pick it up and play with it. And my friend Chris picked it up, and he was playing with it, and he didn't give it back as quick as I, I thought he should. And so I went and got the hammer, my dad, the Hammer. And I went and said, Dad, I need you. What is it, son? I said, You know the toy that you sacrificed and paid a lot of money to get for my birthday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, Can you believe Chris is playing with it and didn't give it back? And Dad said, You better whoop him for you. And I said, Yes. He said, I'll be right there. I ran out in front of him. I'm going to spread the gospel, the good news that the Father's coming to. I'm helping some people right here. And I ran out and said, ooh, my daddy's going to whoop you. Oh, and my daddy don't lie. When he says he's going to oh, he'll be here any minute. 30 seconds became 60 seconds, and 60 seconds became five minutes. And I finally ran back inside, and Dad was still sitting around the dinner table, drinking coffee, talking to the friends at church. I said, where are you? What? You said, you're going, son. Let him play. I was just playing, I just kidding, just that shattered me. Because my dad always told the truth. I didn't understand he was being silly or hyperbolic or, or when he said, You want me to whoop him? Well, yeah, I want you to whoop him. My perception is, Dad, you have lied to me. You did not do what you said you were gonna do. Now. I'm asking a question. Who in here has had a perception at time that God did not do what he said he was going to do? Or did he just not do what you wanted him to do? Is it reasonable that a boy about my age would be interested in the same toy that interests me? Is it reasonable if I've had days to play with it? And i lay it down for a minute that he might want to pick it up and play with it. For, is that reasonable? Who is being unreasonable? Oftentimes, we do not fulfill the Father's expectation is because we develop unreasonable expectations. Isn't it amazing? The same us that wants the maximum amount of understanding and mercy from God for ourselves are often the least willing to extend the same amount of mercy. And un- man, it's quiet in here. I guess, I guess it's just too real. As Christ followers, we must live like we believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently, if seeking God as a hobby and not a lifestyle from you, you will, and you want to date a girl and she's a hobby, but you don't want to have a committed relationship, don't expect to draw closer to her. And we want to be close to God as a hobby, and, but until it becomes a lifestyle and we are committed to Him and live like we believe He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, don't be surprised. If we don't maximize our relationship with God and we have a minimal influence on other who in here would like to be an influencer? Yeah. You'd like to walk into work and say there's a shortage on turkeys go by and people just, You know, God's gonna speak to you about a family member or a coworker that God is dealing with them. And he is wanting to take them from the outside circle to the inside. He wants to take them from time out. He wants to introduce them into the body. And he wants to use you. He wants to get your reasonable service. And if you have not been living a life to maximize your influence because you haven't been living like you believe, he's coming back. How hurtful might that be for your own sakes that you know God is calling you to do this, but you've hindered your own witness and you've minimized your influence with others because you have not lived a life and you have not conducted yourself in a way that's going to carry a whole lot of influence. I imagine, boy, it, it could wound you in a hurry, okay? I'm not going to get done tonight, but I am going to keep going. So the question is, does your actions indicate that you believe? The B part of that is, believers need to look like it. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? It says, as you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'm showing my age here a little bit. Anybody here eat eat at Subway? Do you know how Subway got its name? The original concept was they were grinder sandwiches in the city of New York. Grinders were usually Italians because they did all the steel work on buildings in New York City and Mama would make some Italian bread and she would shove whatever meat she had between a broke open piece of bread and wrap it in something and he would climb those steel towers and uh, put in hot rivets to hold buildings together and because you you were a grinder, if you were putting those rivets in you were a grinder, fitting metal together, they called the sandwich grinders. Well then, uh, the subway system began to expand in New York City and so on the sidewalks right outside the opening to the subway tunnels under the city were these little shops that set up where these people, their wives are now working, and so they don't have time to make the bread and to slice the meat and make the sandwiches. So these shops opened up in New York. As you're making your way to the subway to get to your job, you could stop at the subway shop, subway shop. And so the company, Subway, making cold-cut sandwiches, say, hey, that'd be a great name. See, you learned something it, okay? Is that cool? Okay. And so Subway had a spokesperson. His name was Jared. Who remembers Jared? Now, he's got some dark things that came out of the closet. He's in trouble. Don't, we're not talking about that, okay? He lost a bunch of weight. Eating at Subway every day, and they were so impressed with his story, they used him as the poster child for Subway. And he made a lot of money, and it, it, it was good for them and good for him. And but I'm gonna ask you a question: If Jared had never lost a pound eating Subway every day, or like at McDonald's, if he had actually gained weight, if you eat at McDonald's every day, you'll be in the hospital in about two weeks. No, you'll be, look beautiful at your funeral because all those preservatives, you'll just look great. Okay, so. He lost all this weight eating at Subway. He became the spokesperson, okay? So he exemplified the positive attributes of the product they were providing. Now, who in here is glad that you're not who you used to be? You used to have potty mouth. You used to have a bad attitude. You used to uh, drink and cuss and all manner of evil. But isn't God good? That that he doesn't just say, hey, become a follower. If you'll follow me, I'll transform you from what you were into what you can be. God's in the transformation business. If you don't believe it, look at verse 2. He'll transform you if you'll let him. Now catch this. So Jared's the spokesperson because of the perceived benefits of consuming this product. As Christ followers, we better look like it. We better look like it. If Jared did not look healthy, would he be the right spokesperson for the product? If we don't look like somebody who looks liberated in our right mind with, with color in our cheeks and with a little flesh on our... If we look like we've been smoking crack and sleeping in our car, are we going to be a magnet for... Oh, be like me. No. Get away from me, creepy old man. Nah. Now, if I had a bottle of isopropyl alcohol here and a bottle of water here, which one would you want? The water, okay? What if I turned my back and poured into a clear glass cup, but you didn't know which one I poured out of? Can you tell by looking the difference between alcohol and water? Can you tell by looking You can't tell by looking. Do you think, do you think that the manufacturer of isopropyl alcohol, you ever notice the bottle it's got, it's more square and it's got a funnel type neck on it and it's got the small one-inch diameter cap on it. During the height of COVID, during the desperate measures to try to produce sanitizer, we received some 20-ounce bottles that looked just like Gatorade, except it had a sanitizer label on it. And we had some people almost drink it because the container looked so much like a Gatorade bottle. They just assumed it was Gatorade. I talked to the people who gave that to us. They recalled them all because they had several people that did get a swig. Now, they spit it out, but they had the alcohol in their mouth. Isopropyl alcohol is poison. Okay. Do you think the man, say it's Cumberland Swan or Vyajon over here in who bottles isopropyl alcohol, do you not think they could get a bottle that looks like a water bottle? Do you think it's intentional that all isopropyl alcohol comes in a very similar looking bottle to all other isopropyl alcohol? Why do you think that is? Is they're trying to associate by its very appearance, even though the content looks identical to water, that it's not water in it. Do you hear me? Believers in Jesus Christ, our appearance needs to identify with what's on the inside. You know a gothic person and what a gothic person believes and what they want to participate in because of their appearance. I'm telling you right now, in jail, the correctional officers and the inmates dress differently. Well, we're all in here together. Why don't you do that? Because innocent may be incarcerated and the guilty may be getting free. The appearance identifies for very beneficial reasons. Do you know what, as a Christ follower, our physical appearance, we need to be identified with liberty, righteousness, modesty, holiness. If that's what we got on the inside, our outside better. Ad- well, Pastor, you know, I just don't think it's all an appearance. Let me tell you what, look up in Google how many Billions of dollars a year are sold in fans buying jerseys of their favorite sports team. And you tell me there's no association between what you follow and what you wear. Now, I know there's people that get on the 4-H's, Hems, hairs, hoes, and television. I'm not really one of those guys, but I will tell you what we teach and believe here is gender specificity. What does a man need to look like a man, and what does a woman need to look like a woman? Because our kids are confused enough. Who's ever heard of the Miss Universe pageant? We have nothing to do with beauty pageants. We're not going to do one here for a fundraiser, okay? Not going to do that. How bad of a testimony of the day in which we're living that Miss Puerto Rico and Miss Brazil meet at Miss Universe pageant and they fall in love and the two ladies are getting married this week on national television. And you don't think we need some gender specificity and some boundaries for a generation yet to be created to know there's a difference between male and female? Y'all can argue with me all you want to about that. I am telling you, if there's every day that men need to wear what pertains to a man, and women need to wear what pertains to a woman, and our kids need to know there are distinct differences. It's not gender fluidity, modesty. Gender-specific and modesty. We could argue about what is modest. I am telling you uh, there are things that people have preached against that I don't necessarily believe are wrong. There are things that other people think are okay that I may have a problem with, and some of that might be my personal slant. But you know in your heart when you're being provocative, you know. You don't need me to come along with a tape measure. You know. When you get that little bounce in your step and you think you're looking all that or all that, you know, you know what's in your heart and you know why you're wearing and why you're not wearing what you should be wearing. You know, I'm not going to come around and write you a manual on what to wear and not to wear. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that whole passage before verse 10 is talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit proving what is the what is acceptable unto the Lord? We can argue about is this okay or this is not okay. And I know First Peter three and three talks about women shouldn't adorn themselves with jewelry and shouldn't this, but it also says they should adorn themselves with modesty and and integrity and reservedness. I know that, but the fruit of the spirit will always lead you into proving what is acceptable to God. His Spirit's gonna lead you into what's right. So I don't have to argue with you. The same Holy Ghost I got is the same Holy Ghost you got. And if you ask the Lord, He will direct you. But I'll be very careful. If you ask the Lord, hey, is this modest or is this immodest? The Spirit will speak to you, I promise you, okay? If this is beneficial, not beneficial, the Spirit will direct you, for the Holy Spirit will prove what is acceptable. I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercy of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and what? Acceptable. Acceptable. Anybody here made a bill payment online? Am I the only one that gets uber nervous? Maybe you do, too. I want to see a confirmation that my payment was received. I don't close out my computer until I, and I even do a screen capture, and I print it, and I put it. Anybody besides me? And I'm waiting for them to call and say, we didn't get your payment. Yes, you did get my payment. I got a copy of it Okay? Don't you want to know that your life is acceptable unto God? Just because you put it in the mail don't mean they got it and applied it to the right account. And just because you're coming to church and just because you're reading your Bible doesn't mean God's accepting everything that you're providing Him. Amen? Who wants to know that you're in good standing with the Lord? I I do. Well, Pastor, you made me all nervous. I don't make you nervous. I'm telling you what, I want us to realize we have an Obligation because of what God's done for us that we live a life that is acceptable unto Him. Amen. Jesus, thank you for your people. Our desire at all time is to please you. Help us tonight to examine ourselves. We don't need another man or another book. God, we just need to be led by your spirit and obedient to your word. Help us in all our ways to acknowledge you. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody say Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Now, here are a few of important announcements. First, we do have our 24-hour prayer chain coming up on the 12th through the 13th. There are one-hour time slots available, and we do encourage everyone to participate. Also, November 20th, our praise gathering and meal, where we will be celebrating Thanksgiving together as a church family. Each small group has been assigned a certain side item to bring, so please get with your small group leader for more information. This year, we are having a special admissions fee. We ask for everyone to provide one contact that does not already go to our church or that we don't already have. This contact needs to be someone that you want to reach. Lastly, we will have a table set up in the sanctuary where Sister Caban will have the 24-hour prayer chain sign up and our directory ballot box. We want everyone to fill out an information card because we do know people have moved, changed phones. This is so that way we can stay updated with you. Thank you for listening.